Hello and welcome to another episode of 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the podcast that tackles your freelance challenges one episode at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Katie Carlisle, otherwise known as the Squarespace Queen. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Pratt, owner of Dive Deeper Development, a training and coaching business. And today we are tackling just a little subject, just a tiny, tiny little subject of what am I doing with my life? Just a small one for today. (laughs) We really should have done it for episode 42 to to tackle the meaning of life. But um, really, I think a lot of people are in a situation where, you know, after a year of upheavals, they're starting to question if what they're doing, both in life and work, is actually what they're wanting to do. So for some people, they've kind of had the reflection forced on them a little bit because their previous work now doesn't really exist after COVID. Um, or at least, you know, it won't come back for a while. But I think even for people who've had work stay quite the same, the way that maybe you've engaged with that work might have changed or the way that you deliver that work might have changed and either for better or for worse. And I think it can then get you thinking about, is this where I want to be? Am I doing what I want to do? So... Michelle, I know you had an example of some trainers that you'd spoken to, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, a few people have been doing this in my industry, Katie. Um, We've had some trainers who were, you know, at the beginning of lockdown were very anti-doing, you know, virtual classroom learning. They didn't want to do their training or coaching sessions online. It wasn't as good as face-to-face. It wasn't as pure, you know, like artists that we are. But, um, and and now, I was speaking to some the other week, they're going, well, I don't want to go back on the road. I don't want to be travelling up and down the country nine to five you know monday to friday staying in hotels are quite i speak to, to a coach the other day she says it turns out i quite like my husband we get on quite well so <laughs> and they decided that maybe they should spend a bit more time together and so it, it's caused that reflection and and you know i've also been i spoke to one chap this week katie at a coaching session and he was having a real what do i do with my life moment he's got loads of skills loads of qualifications he's had lots of different careers you with transferable skills he could do anything but he just doesn't know what he wants to do and he's actually being quite unkind to himself and i think this kind of obviously we're talking about having come out of the lockdown after the coronavirus pandemic and of course he has a lot of forced time on his own and so um, I think he's not being very kind to himself with it. And I think there's probably quite a few people maybe beating themselves up as well, because you do lose your mojo a little bit, I think, after everything people have gone through. I imagine you've seen this similar as well with freelancers as well, Katie. Yeah, with freelancers and with clients as well. I've really noticed that there's a lot of people who have been forced to slow down and have actually found that they've quite enjoyed it. And they've, you know, they've enjoyed not having that kind of frenetic pace and hustling and everything else and actually quite a few people I've spoken to and I'd probably include myself in this as well don't really want to go back to that feeling of being busy all the time and overwhelmed and you know I've I've had mixed success trying to kind of replicate that that sort of initial COVID slowdown and feeling like hey I've got time to do stuff and to like create side projects and things and, and I think that's really normal and like I mentioned side projects I think some people are actually finding that something they created as a side project during COVID is now at the point where they can do more with it and so that's another decision that people are kind of facing of do I keep doing what I was doing before or do I sort of take a bit of a risk or do I experiment with this new side project that looks like it might actually have some legs and you know maybe that's maybe where your passions lie a bit more and I think people also 
moving from, you know, people do, you know, a lot of people have gone down a training, you know, creating training routes during COVID, which then means you're not having to be somewhere at a set time. That's something that definitely appeals to me. So I don't believe in the phrase passive income for training. Uh, it's anything but passive. It takes a lot of effort to put a training course together. But I think for me, I really like something where I'm not tied to being, you know, on calls at a set place and time, which gives me the flexibility to work how I want. So something like that is something, you know, that would work for me. What else have you come across, Michelle? Well, it's funny you should mention side gigs there, Kate, because I've come across quite a few people that actually, you know, got their side gig going, uh, you know, in the last year or so. So uh, they got round to doing that extra sort of thing that they hadn't done, setting up the Etsy shop or producing that course online, like you say, or, you know, just doing weird, it's not weird but sort of you know creative um sort of businesses that they would never they're not aligned in the slightest you know they're that professional office type people but they've got a real passion for art or they're really good creators and suddenly they've just done what would seem to be a very odd kind of career jump they've they've finally you know it's, i guess it's like having that book that you were always going to write some people started writing the book i guess which is yeah so and they're like oh yeah like you say oh maybe this we know somebody one. for whom that is literally the case literally yeah. wrote a book. Uh, <laughs> and um yeah and they've just got around to it and, and it's, it's wonderful to see i think we've gained a few more um freelancers over to the dark side now katie so uh, yes always recruiting or, or more podcast listeners potentially so there you go there's always that <laughs> I think that's one thing that people have been asking themselves as well, just in terms of looking at, okay, you know, I'm taking stock, I'm reflecting. And I think one question people are asking themselves is, you know, do I need to actually think about freelancing as a career? Um, you know, do do I need to be looking at progression within what I'm doing? And, you know, we've talked a lot in previous episodes about whether growth is the right thing for people. Um, but I think that's slightly different. I don't know what you think about that, Michelle. Yeah, it, it's different to, to growth. It's And, and the, this whole thing, uh, you know, what am I doing in my life? You know, is this really a career? I saw a freelancer writing a blog about this this week. You know, is, is, is this a proper job? Is this a career? Where is this going? I suppose with the question they were asking. I mean, personally, I don't I don't think you need a career as such. I think the idea of a career in the traditional sense is is dead. Um, I said to you, Katie, before I was reading this Darren Brown, Darren Brown's book, Happy, he's got a wonderful bit about these scripts that get hand, hand down to us by our parents or from society that you you know gets handed to you with all the, the challenges and aims and endings already laid out for you. And then, you know, this, this kind of set of parameters for this is what makes you happy. This is the way your life will go. This is what makes you happy and fulfilled. Do all this and everything's going to be, you know, you've got a happy ending. Whereas actually, I think, I think he described it as, uh, here are their unlived lives, afraid work for us from that script we learn what will make us worthwhile loved and happy and basically just talks about how it's your parents handing down their script for their unfulfilled unlived lives and that we're somehow supposed to pick it up which which is kind of true i don't know if that answered your question but yeah i i, I think um the world is changing perhaps i think there is a movement now away from that traditional world of you go and you work for somewhere and you do one career for life and you know maybe even staying at the same company for life now if somebody does that that's unusual rather than the other way around and i think people working part-time freelance part-time jobs i think just a lot more of like flexibility and fluidity in how people work is where we're going and i think it's only going to increase as well Yeah, it's work to live i think isn't it rather than 
um, a career, an upward trajectory, yeah. career work. You get your meaning from work. I think it's more about your life as a whole, and work is just one part of that. So, and I think a lot of career progression and aspiration comes from wanting to be perceived as you know a status thing. And so, actually, if you're freelance, as long as you're finding enough growth to satisfy you personally. I think that having your own business is kind of its own status symbol, if you even care about that sort of thing, you know, like, I'm like, I don't care if I don't earn as much money as somebody in the corporate world. I've got my own business. I think that's really cool. So <laughs> I don't really care whether I'm doing a career or not. And I think maybe that's just that shift in mindset as well between you, in terms of what was seen as aspirational. Now I think it is more aspirational to own your own business almost than work for the man for a long time. Whereas before it was like, you know, go work your way up the company and get to be head of whatever department and all of that. So I think, yeah, I, I think people are sort of, yeah, a bit more alive to that now, aren't they, Katie? Um, you, you know, I think whereas before you were seen exotic. I mean, I, to doubt on the data, I'm used to be seen as exotic and unusual. And now I think we're just becoming common, which is slightly, uh, slightly worry. Oh rude <laughs> but it still doesn't solve this problem of what do i do with my life which is what we're going to talk about here so how do we manage these questions then if we're making big or or even small life decisions if there's such a thing yeah how do we manage that where do we start yeah i mean the first tip i would say is be if you if you've got these questions wearing around your head right now be be kind to yourself i mean hopefully you're going to live a long life so if you can't work out what you're going to do with your life in the, this week or this month or even this year it doesn't matter so um i know at the moment especially if you're living on your own or you've been cooped up for a long time it could be quite that voice in your head might be quite um quite punitive or quite unkind so don't worry if you don't crack it a bit of self-compassion always makes these things a bit easier um we've got a few suggestions today haven't we katie but i mean one that we've always talked about a lot on this podcast is to re-examine your why and we've always said you know know your why so not just what business are you doing but why are you doing it what does it give you what will you have afterwards what does it enable you to do on account of having it and what does it mean to you and particularly at the moment people's why may have changed so as you grow and as your business develops and circumstances change your why changes but we carry on as we were before without always re-examining it and sometimes it does take something big to make you go back so when I first started I just wanted to get away from what I was doing before working in the corporate world and I kind of just wanted to run run my own business and be my own boss that was my why then it was a bit more like lifestyle you know my mental health wasn't great when I left that job so I just wanted a bit more balance and then I got that and then so you then go on to the next thing well what is the what is the why now you know and I, I think um go back to that because it might have changed I don't I don't know your thoughts Katie or how your why has changed over the years because you've been doing this a bit longer than me do you know it's so similar to what you've yeah, just said yeah 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 <laughs> it really is so yeah for me it was like it was I didn't even know exactly what I was going to do I just wanted to have my own business that was my motivation the job that I was in previously was getting to a point where I didn't feel like it was the right fit for me anymore but also I'd seen a lot of people leave and my old boss was also really inspiring with how she ran the business and so like it just all fell into place and yeah so for me it was just I wanted my own business I wanted to try it and just see if I could do it 
And then exactly like you said, Michelle, once I'd kind of set it up, then I realised that actually I had so much control over how I could run it. And that then made me think about, okay, yeah, like what, beyond just having my own business, how do I want to make it work for me? And so it's exactly that thing of the mental health and the balance. Um, And partly also deciding what clients to work with and where to work and things like that. And then moving to Anglesey, it shifted again. So then it was basically all about how can I get in the sea as often as possible? And that's probably where it's at now. And I think for me, it's also, yeah, about just slowing down and how can I, how can I keep the business going in a way that's sustainable, like financially, but also sustainable in terms of what it takes from me. I saw a really good quote the other day that said, um, and I think it was talking about chronic illness, but I thought it kind of applies to life as well. Never do, never do more in one day than you can recover from for the next day. Yeah, that's quite a good, good one. Yeah. Or something like that anyway. But yeah, I thought actually that's a really good way of doing it. Because I, you know, I have had some ongoing sort of health problems, nothing majorly serious, but, in, you know, in a way that takes away some time that I can spend on work. And then I always find myself, if I'm, if I'm having a good day where I'm well, then... I tend to just kind of overdo it a bit because I'm like, oh, I'm well, I must do all the things. And then that sets me back the following day. But I think even, I think it's a really good habit to get into, even if you don't have health problems, just to like never, never overdo it to the point where then you're paying for it in the future mentally or physically, or, you know, you don't get to that burnout stage, ideally. Like you and I have both experienced burnout at various points in our careers. So And I know that's something I don't want to go back to. Yeah, and it's you can hear there are quite a few shifts in your why. And, and Katie, now I'm even getting to the point where I can regularly sort of get work in. Always have to be careful, not you know, at the moment, especially at the moment, everything's got a bit frantic. And then, but my why is almost shifting into, I, you know, I've kind of got all those things I wanted when I first became a freelancer, and the bar seems very low. And it probably was, but I mean, there were no small achievements, but you know, they were just kind of those first steps. And now I've got to the point where I'm thinking, well, what meaning do I want to create, or what good do I want to put into the world? What problems do I want to solve for people? So it's kind of this much more aspirational stuff. Where at the beginning, it was probably much more perfunctory things. And for me, now I'm sort of thinking, well, what what do I want to you know, put out there or, you know, should I use my power for good or evil might be another way of, of expressing it. So get your super villain lair under a mul- volcano. Do that's it. what I want. And so, so they, so you start to think, well, yeah, you know, what, what can I do? So these are very different types of why now I may, you know, I may be doing the same, using the same skills or performing the same roles or even doing some of the same products or services. But that why I think is really key. And sometimes when people fill out sorts, Katie, or they're thinking, I'm not sure if I'm happy anymore. I don't want to do this. Just re-examining what did you go into this for? And if those circumstances have changed, then chance chances are that what you're doing now will need to change what you're doing now probably solve that problem but it might not be where you're at now so it's always a good shift we do have some other suggestions though uh, Katie as well so um we can talk about some some other things you can do to to kind of answer this question what do I do with my life we probably won't go into should work give you meaning do you need a career that might be one for another another day but I, I one of the things you can do if you're having a little sort out in your head through your about what you want to do in your work is it fulfilling for you anymore there are all sorts of tools out there that can help one of the ones which is quite famous is by a guy called Ed Shine who was professor of management at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology MIT and he has this theory that people are primarily motivated um, at work by one of eight anchors and these priorities define how you see yourselves 
um, in work and out of work. And so his suggestion were there were eight career anchors. And so sometimes what I do in workshops with people is actually get them to explore their career anchors and think about some of the things that are most important to them in their work. And again, these can shift over time, I suppose. Although interestingly, Katie, what we do sometimes is we ask people, what did you want to be? when you were eight years old. I may have mentioned the podcast before. What did you want to do when you were eight years old? I wanted to be a gymnast. Yeah, what did I want to do? I wanted to be a fashion designer because somebody gave me a fashion wheel and I'm not a fashion designer person. Um, And then we asked people, what did you want to be at 16? So I don't know what you wanted to do when you were 16. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something with French, but I didn't know what. Yeah, I didn't know either. Probably wanted to be like a teacher or something. And then we asked people, well, what are you doing now? And um, and then we kind of followed that trend. And some of those jobs are obviously clearly very unrelated, but it's quite nice sometimes to examine other common trends. I asked this of a woman once, what did you want to be when you were younger? And she said a roller skating waitress. Uh, she'd been to a 50s diner and she'd seen these glamorous <laughs> waitresses roller skating around and this was her career aspiration. And I think she was like an accountant or something. And um, so we did the career anchors exercise well, before we did it, actually, I said, are there any common threads? So I said, you're doing a job now that's very desk-based at a computer, but what that job you described when you were younger and the job she wanted to do when she was 16, they were both quite physical, they were quite dynamic. There was a little bit of glamour, a bit of you know, personal presentation involved. I said, are those common themes, do those, maybe not those roles specifically, but do those themes still appeal to you? She said, yeah, I want to do something where I'm not at a desk. I want to be moving around a bit more variety. And yeah, I like the idea of speaking or something where you get to present well to people or making videos or something. So the clues were there when she was eight and the clues were there when she was 16. And this is true for a lot of us. I've totally had that. Yeah. My clues. Go on, tell us about your clues. Go on, tell us your clues. So I'd say the first one was when me and my friend Sally set up GeoCities websites for ourselves when we were 15 and taught ourselves HTML in order to make them have as many spinny colours and fonts as much as we could. Good old spinning applets. So that was the first clue. And then um, when I was doing my master's, which was um, translation, uh, translation studies, from French into English, my dissertation was translating and redesigning a French website. Okay, there's another <laughs> so, one. So, first big clue there. And then when I was teaching, my you, could, you had to do like your own kind of special project. My project was the use of technology in classrooms. Um, and then just in all other jobs, I was always like the go-to computer person, IT person. And so, yeah, it was always there. And then when I decided to to do Squarespace, well, it was web design initially before it was Squarespace. And I just had this, yeah, this kind of like montage of all of these moments in my life that had been kind of maybe signposting me towards that, that I just completely ignored. So yeah, there was clues. It's easy to spot looking back, isn't it? But they're quite often, there are often clues and there are are things. So uh, it's worth thinking about, ask yourself, what did you want to do with your eight? What did you want to do with 16? There are only the common threads, which is much easier to spot, obviously looking back than looking forward. The eight career anchors that um, Edgar Schein came up with are, are, there's eight, one of them is technical or functional competence. So um, this is pretty much what it doesn't says on the uh, the tin. So your career driver will be technical skill. So you may want to be a specialist in a particular process piece of software or you know something you know something functional he also said there's sort of a managerial 
um, as well. So some people are natural organisers, they're naturally good at motivating others. So you might want to take that kind of top down view of things. Kate is screwing up her nose, you can't see it. <laughs> I have I have a bit of a managerial preference. Hate managing people. I, I quite like it. So um, it's, we've also got autonomy and independence as well. So that could be a career driver. If you're a freelancer, I'm guessing this is probably quite strong in most of you listening to this. Security and stability is another one of the drivers. I would suggest probably not you if you're listening to this, although there are some freelancers who have this as well, a Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, me and Roland have this conversation all the time about there's this whole thing of like, oh, being employed is so much more secure and stable than being freelance. And I think if the last year has shown us anything is that no. actually it's not necessarily as secure as people think it is. And, you know, yeah, like... I feel much more secure now as a freelancer than I've done in previous jobs. You know, when I work for charities and you're in, you, your role is dependent on funding, and so you know, okay, if I don't, if we don't get this funding for next year, then my job isn't going to exist anymore. And it, you know, it depends on the success of the company. And we've just seen how things can change so quickly. Whereas if you're freelance, then you can choose one of our favourite words, pivot. Yeah, I mean, pivot and change. Uh, change direction more easily so yeah I, I I always kind of put like a little asterisk next to that security and stability but yeah, that's true yeah it's different isn't it because you if you, once you, when you are if you are in a job then you do get that monthly paycheck and it is um, I suppose from a perspective of a lot of mortgage companies and things they still see it as that so. yeah it, it's interesting actually we have discussed that on the, on the podcast before and it's the being employable versus being employed i suppose so yes whatever you just decide security and stability is it could be a driver for you um entrepreneur entrepreneurial creativity is in there as well some people are just naturally wanting to create to initiate to uh, you know drive things forward um, we've got service is another one of them. So that desire to, to serve something bigger than yourself or to serve others. Challenge is another one. So some people have for a career driver, they don't really mind so much what they do, but they just really, really want this ability to um, just, yeah, tough stuff. You know, they just want to improve. They want to grow. They just the challenge. They will take something big on just for the just for the so, so they could say that they did. And then finally is lifestyle. And this one is interesting. And again, an interesting one for freelancers. So some people don't uh, think of work and uh, life as different things, as Katie has discussed before. Um, and so the career driver for some people is for work and life to merge a bit more. They see them as being a bit more fluid. And so the driver for work is, uh, you know, work is something that fits seamlessly with life. So... I don't know how I feel about those. I think they're quite good. Would you have more than one? Yeah, yes, absolutely. If you go online and type in uh, career drivers questionnaire, the top link that comes up is an NHS branded form, but they've got a copy of the, the driver's questionnaire. It's, it's all over the internet, but if you print that one out, you'll be able to score and work them out. But even if those aren't your personal drivers, you could kind of get the general gist. Those are the threads we're talking about, um, the clues that you might spot from your from your previous jobs or the jobs that you wanted when you were a, a child, perhaps. So what would yours be, Michelle? So it's interesting, actually. That's why I said probably why I don't really know with mine. I think a bit of autonomy and independence always scores very high with me. And on all the MBTI style questionnaires I do, entrepreneurial creativity comes up. Wanting to be able to instigate and create things is quite a high one as well. And you mentioned another term, Michelle, that's useful for helping to kind of figure out what you want to do. Like one of these kind of hipster buzzword terms. Yeah. 
What was it? Ikiagi, I think it's called. I think it's that a Japanese it. phrase. I'm sure I've pronounced that badly. So apologies to any Japanese listeners. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones, Katie. I mean, we had this with Hugger, didn't we? Because your partner is Danish. <laughs> and that got like commercialized to death, along with Lagom, the Swedish concept of Lagom as well. Um, Ikiagi is the Japanese one that's been done to death as well and commercialized the hell out of it so it loses all meaning. But it's a nice concept. And the reason why I thought we could talk about this one, Katie, is because we've done various um, versions of this before in coaching, or we've talked about it before. I think Ikiagi is just a nice way of putting it all together. And it normally comes with what is normally a very colourful and easy, very aesthetically pleasing graphic as well. So it's um, it's represented, if you Google it, um, it's spelt I-K-I-A-G-I, by the way. It's kind of like represented as a Venn diagram. And there are four core things that feature in this. And I think this is a nice way of trying to reflect on that balance of your life. And the four areas that it puts together in the Venn diagram are what you love doing, the second one is what you care about, so what you're really passionate about. The third one is what the world needs. And then the fourth one is what you get paid for. And of course, in that Venn diagram, in the centre of all of that, if you where the four converge, you get ikiagi, which is kind of your happiness or your mm-hmm. fulfilment. It's got other bits on as well. So, for example, it says what you love and what the world needs might be your mission. The, the, the crossover between what you get paid for and what the world needs is your vocation. What you're good at, what you get paid for is your profession. And then what you're good at and what you love is your passion. So there's kind of these things. So I reckon most people listening to this, Katie, might have had a sense of mission or, or, or they might have a profession, perhaps. But perhaps the bits that might be missing, because it's the opposite end of the Venn diagram to um, getting paid, is passion, of course. And so this uh, is all about, you know, these four things converging. But um, again, I think this could be quite nice to look at and think about, yeah, what do I love? What do I need? What am I good at? What can I get paid for? And do they meet in the middle or where at least where are you going to get at least three of those things or the other way to think about it, what I would do is to ask myself, you know, where can I bring some more of these things into my business? So if you're doing lots of what you get paid for and lots of what you get good at, can you bring in a bit more of what you love? Or if you're getting paid and you're good at something, but you don't feel there's any purpose to your life, you know, is there a way you can turn your skills to what the world needs? Or could you volunteer for a charity, for example, and you may get your sense of, you know, uh, meaning from that. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Katie. Like I say, we've done similar sort of things before. Yeah, I really like it. I'm looking, I've am looking. i got it in front of me here. And I think it is something where if you, if you search for it, I think the visual representation is much easier to digest. Um, so if you just Google Ikiyagi. Yeah, I was, I was looking at it and thinking, actually, yeah, I probably do tick most of those boxes with my with my work, which I'm really happy about. It, you know, in the... I think one of the career anchor things that you mentioned before was that sort of technical competence. I think that is a really big driver for me. Like I really love like being a Squarespace expert and knowing everything about it and figuring out ways around problems. Like the other day I was just really happy because a client wanted to do a glossary and I was like, okay, there must be a way of making it look more like a glossary on Squarespace. And then I ended up repurposing something that Squarespace designed for like food and beverage menus for restaurant websites and using that for a glossary because it has different sections. So I've got like one for each letter and stuff. And I was just so happy that I figured it out. So I think that's the like, the kind of, yeah, the, the what I love and what I'm good at intersections. So I guess that's my passion stuff. And luckily people need websites. So and you get paid for it. That works for the world and the passion and I get paid for it. Yeah, yeah. so good, good convergence. 
There's there's um there is a book called Ikiyagi the the Japanese secrets of a long and happy life, um which I haven't read that myself but it was talking about this for a colleague just yesterday actually and he was saying that um it's a really good book so if you do want to know more about that and probably get a bit more grounding than just you know having postcards on it or having coffee mugs with it written on then uh that's the less hipster way of exploring the subject I think yeah. <laughs> And Michelle, you are a big champion of looking at your strengths to decide what to do with yourself and how to kind of progress. Um, and that's obviously something we've talked about. We mentioned it in episode 29 as well, uh, in the Getting in the Zone episode. But how can looking at your strengths help you to work out what you're doing with your life? Yeah, I, I think this is, again, we talked about this in episode 29. So this is worth a listen if this is not an idea you've come across before. But basically... Um, I, one of the things I do with coaching people is just encourage them to look at their strengths and to do more of that. But I want to be clear, uh, as we explained in the episode, that strength is not what you're good at. Chances are, if you're doing something for work, you're good at it because you've done qualifications in it or you've got experience in it. And you can be good at anything if you do it enough. That's the 10,000 hour theory. A true strength is a bit more innate. So it's something you're naturally drawn to. So you naturally just appeals to it. It's the kind of task like Katie, you talked about, you know, websites, even from a young age, you were just drawn to solving problems using technology. So yeah. something like that. It's also something you can learn quickly. So both Katie and I language enthusiast I'm studying Irish at the moment you know again it's just something I find just makes sense when I look at it my partner's more technically minded um she you know picks up a phrase book for a language she can you know read the phrases but whereas I go oh that makes sense oh yes that's a bit like Italian or that's a bit like French to her it's like nope I don't I don't get that at all so you'll you quickly learn things and the theory is that some things um some synaptic connections in your brain just fire off a bit quicker and they probably have done since you were a child so rather than try and you know work uphill why not just use your natural strengths the things that come naturally to you but the most important one of spotting a real strength is what energizes you so it might be hard it might be tough but you might get a real buzz out of doing it or at the very least it feels satisfying so I was listening to Jonathan Brownlee give an interview yesterday about um, a, a triathlon he's, he's doing in, in the week coming up and he says I'm hoping for a really tough race and I can't think of anything more hellish than you know getting kicked in the face <laughs> in the water having to cycle uphill around Yorkshire and then having to run at the end of all of that but you know for him that's absolutely like he'll be knackered at the end of it but he'll also be buzzing and you can find this from you know doing things that involve your passion so just what just whatever energize you another clue is like you know if you get your head down and you're absorbed in a task and you look up at the clock and like a couple of hours has passed and the time has just flown by um, so these are the kind of things we're talking talking about but some tasks just energize you and so your true strengths are these things and it, the, the research shows that the more time you spend working with your true strengths the more energized you are the more motivated you are and the more likely you are to be successful so it's happiness and capability um, if you you can work outside of those but you're going to get pretty tired and pretty frustrated so a good exercise for this one Katie is just to think of your best ever day at work think of a day when you work really really hard think of a specific time and then just ask yourself who was there what were you doing and don't worry to focus too much on the task because you you may not be able to replicate that 
but what you know what was going on with you what what tasks were you doing what people were you with or were you on your own what environment you know what are those core elements that just give you your best ever day you can think about three or four best ever days and you'll probably be able from there to write a list of things which were core components that just set you alight and so the wisdom is yeah do those things that set you alight and it, that's but i don't know if this makes sense katie that's not the same as follow your heart or follow your passion you know like x factor if you're crap at singing you probably shouldn't be a singer do you know what i mean i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> yeah you know i think like you know it's basically that idea that it's that idea of getting into that flow state isn't it and exactly that. Get, you know when, when you're really in this if you describe yourself as oh i was really in the zone with that or like you know something that that i think yeah you just kind of comes to you more easily than other people and other people are just like oh i don't know how you can do that like and, and like you say, but in a way that you pick up naturally, not just through doing it for a long time. Like, I think for me, yeah, like technology just makes sense to me. Like, and so if if there's something new and I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, if someone's like, oh, I've got a problem with my phone. I'll just, even if I've never used that phone before, I'll just figure it out. And I'll be like, oh, how did you know how to do that? I was like, oh, it just seemed obvious. And so that would be something for me. And I think that's a big thing for me in terms of like that, you know, if I think of like, I can't really think of like a perfect day, but if I think of like times when I felt really happy and fulfilled in my work, it's when I've been creatively solving problems and like overcoming challenges. Like I love a challenge of like, if someone says to me, this can't be done on Squarespace, I'm like, just you wait, yeah. you know? And that's what really energizes me. And so I think, yeah, that, that feeling of, yeah. yeah once you've done something I think is another clue of like what makes you feel like you know you can kind of strut down the street being like yeah I'm the boss kind of thing yeah I mean you're good at it you like it I mean we talk about career anchors there so I'm hearing pure challenge has been a bit of one for you as well but there's exactly yeah. exactly it Katie and I think the thing is some of these things you might take for granted one because you enjoy them and we've talked about this before stuff you enjoy quite often we don't consider to be proper work so we might dismiss it but the other one is um that you because it does come naturally to you uh, because you you are good at it you probably don't think of it as being that special so another clue might be you know what are the things where people ask for your help where do people pick your brains um you know what are the things that people go oh you're so good at that oh i can't believe you know you know i can't believe you find that so easy this is so so tricky and you're probably saying oh what that oh, that's easy it's not easy because it's easy it's easy because you're good at it and uh, because you're generally you've taken an interest in it over yeah. the years and worked on it so this is the sort of thing so see if you can spot those those clues as well when you're looking for those common threads about where you should be spending your time i think as well it might be something that you you might not have found an outlet for your strengths in your workplace and if that's the case you might find it in something where you've done it as a as a volunteering project or a side project or something that's outside the scope of your existing role or your existing job so i think for you know for me like things like speaking i really love speaking and it's not something that i do as standard within my job so i look for opportunities outside of that often unpaid to like be on panels and to speak and obviously this podcast and things like that and then the other one for me i'd say is probably creating communities and connecting people is a big thing for me so like I've got the freelance work community that I run and Squarespace club that I'm setting up to kind of yeah bring together people who are using Squarespace and own beat for people who want to live life but differently and I think a lot of a lot of my work is about like creating those community and those connections and I look for opportunities to do that because it isn't necessarily in my kind of day job as it were. 
Yeah, that's true. They will show up in your in your volunteer in your spare time. And of course, how could you bring that into work? Could be another another one. Probably pro- probably not one of those circles on the ikiaki. And then you mentioned something else, Michelle, about kind of five steps to find happiness which sounds a bit like a clickbait article but <laughs> yeah i mean this is this is some genuinely researched work so there's a book called martin seligman called flourish um, and Martin Seligman was really the founder of positive psychology. So I don't know how much people know about positive psychology because I asked an occupational psychologist, um, you know, that sounds quite fluffy and lovely, but what is it? Uh, uh, basically, what Martin Seligman found was that in the in his field of psychology, but also sort of related fields of psychotherapy or counselling, lots of work on how to fix people. Uh, air quotes again on the podcast. Or there's lots of things about you know why people are depressed or how do we cure depression. But he said there was alarm. You know, he he launched his book I think in two thousand and ten. He said there was alarming little work about actually what makes us happy. Now he's wrestled with himself over the word happy because happy can sort of uh, suggest a kind of elated temporary state where you've got a big smile on your face. So I, he, he settled on flourish. But what very little research on what makes us flourish. So what is it that makes a person feel content and happy in their lives? And he identified five things. Now it's quite robust work that he did he wanted to prove these things he wanted them to be measurable and he wanted them to be observable and he had a stringent set of criteria for finding his elements and so it's quite an interesting piece of work that he did it's explained in the book but the five elements that he came up with um uh, he has this model called perma p-e-r-m-a now the first one is a sense of purpose so uh, in order to feel happy we need this sense of purpose in our lives now katie you and i discussed purpose in episode 35 so just to be clear purpose is what purpose means to you and it's whatever you choose to be your purpose so i still meet people who are kind of like i need to find my purpose and it's like we explained in the episode like (laughs) it's chosen not not discovered yeah which is interesting, Katie, because I we, we did the episode before I read the book. So it just, you know, just shows we're ahead of the game, I think. Well, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the right track, actually. It's reassuring to know. The second one he said was engagement. And Katie mentioned earlier that state of flow. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. So this is what engagement means. Stuff that you're just mentally, emotionally engaged and tuned into. So things where you're in a state of flow is, is, is useful. He talked about relationships. And I think with people talking about mental health a lot at the moment, and he said, you know we all need some really good key relationships and he found that people who had at least three people who they could call at three in the morning with a problem if they needed to regardless of whether you actually phone those people or not um are likely to be more happy than fulfilled than those who don't and then after those three if you've got like a, a sort of even if it's just like a 10 or 12 circle of close friends or family you've got in your life um these are really important to being fulfilled so it's not really about how many friends or how many people just having some good core relationships and even if, like i say it's just two or three people you can absolutely rely on that's really important for people the m stands for meaning and again whatever you meaning it is but you need to feel that what you're doing has meaning for you uh that there is some some point to it and again that's quite personal and then the final one is achievement and the common one katie is that a lot of people try to work out what they're doing with their lives by stacking up lots of achievements so it's interesting to see it there it's true we do need to feel like we're achieving something 
but achievement alone isn't going to make you feel happy or fulfilled in your career. So if you're a freelancer who, I don't know, has written a book, has done loads of talks, has their own training course or programme or is highly sought over, sought after it, you're thinking, why am I not happy? You might have got a lot of achievement and done everything you thought you were supposed to do, but that's not necessarily going to give you that sense of fulfillment. You may need to work on the other four. And I guess achievement can also be whatever it, you know, it's not necessarily what society considers a good achievement. It's whatever an achievement is to you, Absolutely. I think. So yeah, like, oh, you've won an award. Okay, great. That's a great achievement. But like, actually for me, a bigger achievement would be like, yeah, overcoming a problem or creating, you know, really like helping a client beyond what I thought was possible or like, yeah, just creating, for me, it's that, it's that creation, I think, creating something that is better than I thought I could do. Like that would be a sense of achievement for me. Yes. And it might be quite, you know, quite a small scale thing, but it's not necessarily something that I'm like putting on my LinkedIn profile. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for some people having a family is an achievement and that's absolutely fine as well. Um, You know, for me, I think I've got a good work-life balance that a lot of my friends, particularly those with children, are really quite envious of. Um, And that, for me, is is achievement. It doesn't earn me any money. It's not going to find me a mate, but um, it's it's important to me nonetheless. So I guess the final thing just to look at is if you have decided to make a change based on any of these kind of frameworks that we've talked about, or just if you've kind of got this, you know, desire, gut feeling to do something about it, what do you do next? Yeah, I mean, there's the kind of the big picture stuff and there's a practical. A couple of exercises, Katie, that coaches have shared with me in the past that have helped me pull these ideas together into sort of like a a vision or a plan, if you like, or your new why, is there is one pretty straightforward exercise that you can do, which I found useful, which is to write your future history. So imagine, um, forget, if, if you don't know what you want to do with your life, don't worry about knowing what you want to do. Just imagine that you've already done it. So for you, if that's um, like in five years time, 10 years time, you think, yeah, I've nailed it. Just fast forward the how, skip to the bit where you've already got it and then imagine what life is like. So this is a great way to find your why. So imagine you're in that position. What are you doing now? Where are you? What are you doing? Um, uh, who are you with? What is your life like? A coach once asked me, what do you want? Think five, 10 years ahead. What do you want your life to be like? Don't worry the how. Don't worry about work specifically. What do you want to what, want your life to be like? And one exercise you can do is write a diary entry from the future. So imagine you're already there. Now look back and think, chart the progress. So how did you get there? What did you do? What obstacles did you face? What skills or talents did you use to overcome them? So it's a bit like a visioning exercise. You could do it visually. You could do it um, as a sort of a written exercise, a stream of consciousness, if you like. The other one, now this one's a bit more, um, it can be be a bit morose, Katie, but um, a coach did this for me just last year. It was really useful. And she said, imagine you're writing your own eulogy so literally imagine you are at the end of your life so if you're saying what am I going to do with my life let's skip the life bit go straight to the end and imagine you're writing the eulogy and I actually left a copy of this exercise in with my will so that if if I do pop my clogs then, then my eulogy is written and then, 
because there's only one way to make sure these things go the way you want them to, Katie. So, you know, let's put it in there. And um, I, mean, I have very specific funeral <laughs> instructions, so I get that. But this is, if you can stand to do it, at the moment this may be too close to home for some people, but if you can, and it can be quite tearful, but it's not a bad thing. But what do you want people to have said? And I know this is very extreme, but sometimes when you push yourself to these parameters, you can, it, it, it kind of makes sure, it gives you clarity of thought. So I, I'd say, well, actually, I want people to look back on my life and say, I don't know, for example, she's a woman who's got a priority sorted. She knew what life was about. She always had a kind word or a piece of advice for someone who turned to her for help, so on and so forth. And it was interesting for two reasons. One, a lot of the things that I listed that I wanted people to say, the vast majority, I think people would already say. So in terms of like Ooh, your Jahari window, it's all in the public arena. But the second thing was there were a couple of things there that I think are true of me but I don't think they're visible because I've not shared them with people of the world so kind of like hidden talents or hidden qualities but I do want them to be visible and doing that exercise put them sharp focus so then yeah if I died tomorrow I don't think people would say that about me but I would really like them to so maybe I need to disclose um and be a bit more vulnerable around these areas so it was a real focus exercise for me so However you do, I mean, I've seen other, I've had other versions of this where you imagine you're on a rocket going to establish a new colony on, a, on Mars or something and you get to shape the values of that society however you want. How would you set it up? Or you're in a room and <laughs> it's going to fall silent in 30 minutes and you've got a stage and you've got like one minute to tell the world your message. What would it be? I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do. <laughs> that was my, that was the one that was started my manifesto that I wrote because mine was don't be a dick great if i had that minute on stage yeah uh, i love it and it's good it, do, it does give you a bit of clarity so there's some things you can do to help take all those random thoughts and like corral them into a sort of vision and your vision doesn't have to be a cheesy mission statement that you put on your website although you did put a manifesto on your website didn't you katie yeah I need to rewrite it, actually. Yeah, and again, this changes every few years. And that legacy exercise about the eulogy, I did that about five years ago. And then I did it again. The coach says, how do you feel about this? I said, oh, I've done it before, but I happily do it again. And it was really quite interesting, again, for two reasons. One, there were some common threads, which suggest those things are consistently me. But also the first one was kind of quite a bit more practical, a bit more of a list. Whereas this time I wrote it a bit more emotionally. Uh, about things I about things that I feel and that, that's yeah it was interesting just to see the different style and the different things I focused on they were kind of similar in content but the expression was different 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 so again your why will shift your circumstances shift so these are useful things to go back and, and examine so there's some things on the big picture stuff Katie but we do have some uh, practical tips don't we and we did a couple we did a few episodes uh, which might help people if you want to go well that's great Michelle but now how do I actually do it yeah exactly so I think there's like the kind of practical side like money time family commitments and things and then I think it's also about communicating like you were saying Michelle you know actually I've got these things these qualities but I'm not communicating them so if you're making a big change with your work how can you you know how can you communicate that so we we talked in episode 31 about getting friends and family on board so that was all about the idea of like how do you if you if you've worked in a job that people understand how to then communicate your your work as a freelancer especially people might see it as risky and be concerned for you how do you communicate that like michelle mentioned we talked about finding your purpose in episode 35 so that's quite a good idea in terms of actually just again bringing it all together we talked about 
what to do if you're planning to grow or deciding whether to grow in episode 47. So that's called, should I stay or should I grow? So that's a really useful one. If one of the things that you've decided to do is to look at actually growing the business, or even if you want just some reassurance about your decision not to grow the business, we talk about that as well. Episode 41, um, hitting refresh, yeah. uh, is talking about what to do if you do want to make a change. That's probably the most practical one in terms of if you want to have, you know, if you want to kind of go and look. Probably episode 62 being pigeonholed, which was about how to, if you're known for one thing, how to get yourself the word out about doing something else. Episode 62, and then episode 41, hitting refresh is, yeah, what to do. Rebranding, wasn't it? Because you were talking about rebranding your business. Yeah, exactly. Rebrand yourself or just do something a bit differently with your business. So hopefully all of those episodes will give you some really practical tips um, because we could talk about this for another hour. So we'll signpost you to those episodes instead. But I think the thing is, Katie, is it is like the, the key thing to do is do something so if you don't know what to do do something so try some stuff on the side you don't have to get it nailed today so if you want to ramp up your side gig find a bit more time for that and do it or if you want to want to learn a new skill start today and uh, do it bit by bit I suppose yeah and just start having conversations with people as well I think that helps to get it out into the world even if you're doing it you know sometimes it's scary to put it out as a fact and say well, this is what I'm doing so you could always start by you know saying I'm thinking of doing this what do you reckon you know and then you can kind of gauge people's reactions and of course you don't have to take their reactions but it can give you a bit of a feel for you know if, if you've got people that you trust and they're all saying yeah we're not sure that's for you then that might be a, a kind of bit of a red flag but if everybody's kind of on board going yes we've been hoping you do that for a really long time then that's kind of great to know you've got that support and you could talk it up as well can't you of course like you say katie the more you talk about it the more you bring into conversation the more real it becomes but then people come forward with advice or help or actually i've got an opportunity and they might scare the crap out of you that someone says oh hey i've you know hey i'm gonna do a bit more public speaking and someone turns around a week later and says hey i found you a slot at this conference you're like ah but you know (laughs) it's all to the good So we always do this thing at the end of the episode where we take our kind of top takeaways and we each say one thing uh, that would be our kind of top tip to solve this problem in the episode. So Michelle, what would yours be if you could just do one thing to solve the problem of what am I doing with my life? Yeah, I think, well, be kind to yourself, first of all, Katie. And then other than that, I think an interesting one might be to look back over your best days at work or your career choices over the years and see if you can spot some of those clues or common threads. I usually find the answers were staring you in the face all along. Um, which makes you feel a bit daft, but ultimately uh, they were there. Yeah, pay attention to those maybe. What about you, Katie? Um, I love Vicky Aggie. I'd not heard of it until we were um, talking about this podcast um, when we were prepping for it, but I love it. I that, that would be my thing to do, I think, if I was feeling a bit stuck, would be like, okay, yeah, what are all those, what are my intersections of all those things? And if I've got an idea, then I'd probably think, okay, does it fit into those those boxes? And uh, maybe the thing about you know what can you be paid for if you don't need to be paid for it then you could still have all those other you know maybe what can you feel like you get kind of, you know what I mean like sometimes when you do something like voluntarily or for free or whatever you feel like you get a certain satisfaction that feels like you're being paid for it anyway because it's just makes you so happy so that was the only bit I'd switch out potentially depending on if you're doing it for work or as a side project but yeah I'd go back to the Ikiyagi because it's got a cute name and I like it <laughs> so obviously we always like to hear about 
any problems you would like us to tackle, you can get in touch with us at 99problemscast on Twitter. That's the number 99. Problems and then cast as in podcast if you've got any ideas or you'd like to comment on any of our previous episodes. And otherwise, we'll see you next time for another episode of 99 Problems, But a Boss Ain't One.